This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Our guest today is is Ted Douse. Ted's one of the partners with HITS, and Ted is a prosecutor from South Florida. I know probably you could, a lot of you have seen his uh, bio and maybe seen him at HITS, but we'll have, spend a minute or two. Ted, uh, can you kind of just give us a little of your background and maybe uh, explain all the different stuff you've done along with police canines? That's uh, pretty, I think, uh, pretty unique. Yeah, sure can. Uh, graduated law school in uh, 91, became a prosecutor down here in South Florida. And then kind of after making my way through misdemeanor and general felony, found uh, promoted into a drug trafficking unit down here. And um, it just by coincidence, made friends with a lot of canine handlers, got interested in it. Uh, and down here in South Florida, we were on call um nights and weekends so i be, kind of became the go-to guy if you remember for all you guys that have been handlers for many and many a year um people had my home landline and then they had my beeper and then uh lo and behold the world catches up to us and they would have my cell phone to uh, contact us after hours about search warrants and deployments and issues that you would have in narcotics investigations. So with that coming my way, I would start getting narcotics questions because my canine handler friends would have, I'm single and didn't have any kids. And if you had to call somebody at two in the morning, uh, let's wake up Ted type of thing. So um, I got more and more interested into it, more and more questions. And then uh, just more and more educated in the actual specifics of uh, canine deployment and canine search and seizure. So that kind of led me into that area. And we have a lot of dogs down here and we're a pretty dog active state and it blossoms from there. People then hear you in the tri-county area and then people hear about you in the state of Florida and then lo and behold across the country. And then I got involved um, in two United States Supreme Court cases where I was part of a team of lawyers for the state of Florida that helped out. Um, and then of course, back when you had the magazine and, uh, in PCA, I, um, represented them, so to speak, uh, in both of those Florida cases, sure. uh, Florida versus Jardines and which is dog sniffing houses is what I call it. And then Florida versus Harris, which was uh, basic dog reliability. So once I got involved in those two, um, United States Supreme court dog cases, uh, my expertise, so to speak kind of blossomed from there across the country into uh authoring a book canines in the courtroom and you know in this business with you and uh jeff barrett and andy wyman with hits and lecturing across the country so um yeah i don't, I don't I get, there's I, any I, other what's that i don't think there's anybody else who's really doing any types of lectures uh you know in in your in your realm that has the the experience and the you know the 25 years worth of working with with those of us, you know, with the dogs and stuff. So it's, it's always refreshing to, to pick your brain on things. Cause I think you see, you see it from kind of a, maybe a, a broader spectrum than I do, or maybe an attorney who, who hasn't uh, had all the experience with, with our industry as much. So it's always, always really good to, to get your, your um, opinions. I think it's always, you know, really well thought out and 
has served to guide our industry quite a bit. So I, I appreciate that as your friend. No, I, I try hard. I tell a lot of my canine handler friends, I said, I'm a, I'm as user friendly as a prosecutor as you're going to find. So Absolutely. I love taking questions and trying to answer them. I, mean, I say 95% of the time I can give you some law on some area to point you in the right direction. So today, um, what we want to do on this show today, I've talked to Ted over the last several years, being a dog handler in Colorado. And although I work a bomb dog right now, I'm heavily involved in, in all the different types of dogs here in Colorado. And I'm on the, our state canine, uh, our Colorado Police Canine Association. I'm on the board of that. So I get lots and lots of questions from both in and out of Colorado, uh, basically de dealing with marijuana and how it's affecting drug dogs and what we're doing. I take a lot of calls from out of state on the, uh, the question about what, what did we do? What have we done over the last few years? What's been our experience on the states that are now, in my opinion, making the same dumbass uh, mistake that we did of, of legalizing this. So as they go down that same road there, they keep coming back and asking me questions about it. So most of those questions, the, the, the short answer I'll, I'll say that we've gone to is basically as dogs have retired, we have just started new dogs for drug dogs and not put marijuana as an odor on them. That's the, the, the short answer that I tell people. We did not go down the road of retiring dogs just because they had marijuana because they're still the marijuana smelling dogs and uh, still have plenty of work here. They, they do. There's still lots of ways marijuana is illegal. They do a lot of work with the post office. They, they can do administrative sniffs. Um, so there's still quite a quite a few ways. But we've got a case winding its way through Colorado right now that's pretty significant. It's probably going to set the, the tone for all the other states that are are going down this road with us. Um, Ted's well versed in in all the dis different aspects of that. So I just asked Ted to come on today and and maybe speak to that. So if you're in one of the states that has legal marijuana, Ted's going to explain kind of what maybe you should look out for, maybe what you should start planning for down the road. And if you don't have it yet, you know, here's what's coming. So to that, Ted, um, you know, I'll give give you the microphone and maybe you can uh, tell us where you're at with this. And yeah, obviously it's, it's uh, all the time. Sure. It's the hot ticket item across the country. I mean, you know, if you go back just three or four years, you know, everybody had marijuana uh, imprinted with their dog. And it was pretty much just one of the standard five, four or five odors that you would see. And then, of course, with the influx of Colorado being legal in general, um, and then some states have followed. And then, of course, some states have um, brought on not purely legal, but medical. Um, so that brings up different issues related to uh, you being a patient and lawfully having some marijuana. And then the use of a drug dog. So it really kind of threw drug dog handlers in a flux across the country. Um, and Colorado is kind of the leading state just, just because everybody in Colorado is the, they were the first one to dip their toe in the pond of having legalized marijuana. And it went through their system, uh, your court system, I should say. And um, up until what you have right now is a case called McKnight, which has worked its way um, through the Colorado legal system now. And it was just argued, um, I believe it was October of 2018. Um, it was just argued before the Colorado Supreme court. So probably well, sometime in 2019, probably the summer or maybe the fall, we'll get an opinion 
on whether a dog imprinted with multiple odors, one of which being marijuana in the state of Colorado, which is a legal marijuana state, um, is that still going to be probable cause um, related to, let's just, you'd make the common usage, let's say at a traffic stop, because a person could have legally obtained marijuana in Colorado, and therefore the dog could be smelling the odor of a legally obtained substance. So how does that affect probable cause? Um, that's the key issue. And of course, you have the same key issue related to if you're a medical marijuana state, you could be a lawfully have your three joints. Um, if your doctor prescribed it and you were a licensed patient for that and you have your credentials to show that you're lawfully having it. So either way, it's a lawful possession, either medically or legally of small amounts of marijuana. How does that affect your dog? Well, the first thing I just want to tell you right off the bat is that I ask you to talk to your prosecutors when the issue comes up and make sure that you explain to them that the logical aspect under the law is simply this, is that look at it like a DUI stop. And, it, you know, alcohol is legal. Uh, you can have an actual drink and you can actually drive your car. It is the essence of the problem is, is that do you drink to excess that it would affect your faculties to where you would be in your normal faculties of being able to control the vehicle appropriately. And so you see a car weaving, you see a car, which I think that's probably at night. Most of your DUIs I would think happen at night and you go up to the car along with a erratic driving pattern and it may be being 2 AM in the morning or something, uh, having bars closed around that time. And you get up, you see some traditional signs of impairment, physical signs of impairment on the driver, and you smell an odor of alcohol. Well, you go up there right then and there. Have you done anything wrong at that point? And the simple answer is no. And you investigate whether that person who ingested a lawful substance or um, is under the influence of alcohol, let's say, to the extent that their normal faculties are impaired. And you get them out of a car, and they do a what, walk the line, touch your nose, ABCs. You do horizontal gaze and nystagmus. And let's say, for instance, the person passes the roadside sobriety exercises. Well, you let them go with maybe a ticket for weaving or failure to maintain a single lane or whatever it is that you saw. And you determine that they are okay to drive. And even though they've consumed some alcohol um, sure. and they drive away. Now, you say, okay, Ted, why are you giving me a three-minute DUI lecture? Because you look at it like this on the flip side. You're in Colorado, and Colorado does have rules. And let's just start off with Colorado. Every state has rules and regulations that has legalized marijuana. So simply like you have to be over the age of 21. Uh, I believe, and Jeff, you can correct me being a Colorado dog handler and Colorado citizen, but if you're a tourist, I think you're only allowed a certain amount. And if you're her right. resident, you're allowed a different amount. Yeah, um, so they, uh, I, tourists, um, you know, I, I'll make up, I don't remember what it is, but yeah, they get in a lesser amount. I know five grams, six grams, seven grams or something. And if you're a Colorado citizen, you can have 10, 12, 14 grams, whatever it is. I and mean, those numbers are fictitious, but it's just to illustrate a point. So first of all, right off the bat, are you 21? <laughs> yes, no. If you have marijuana and you're under 21, your dog had alerted to the exterior of the vehicle and the dog had alerted while the ticket's being processed. 
uh, and you're under 21, you're not allowed to have marijuana. That's illegal. Boom. There you go. You investigated the case. The person doesn't meet Colorado law and standards. They're arrestable. Second, if you are you a tourist or a resident, because the amount of marijuana is going to be legally different for each one. So investigate that fact. Find out what you find. If they're, uh, they have that marijuana amount of marijuana that's lawfully for a citizen, but not unlawful for that amount to have a tourist, and the person's a tourist, boom, they go to jail. Or they get a ticket. Or they get whatever you want to issue them. But the crime is lawful, and the dog alert would also help you uh, establish that there's a likelihood uh, is one of the, cr- the cases that we'll talk about, uh, still suggest criminal activity being afoot. So, and then, uh, of course, there's things about it has to be purchased from a lawful dispensary. Uh, depending on the state to state, you may have to have it carried um, in a container that shows that it was purchased in a lawful dispensary because marijuana grown in your neighbor's basement, even in Colorado, is still illegal. Yeah. One of their licensed establishments and buy it. So there's parameters, sure. and there's rules yeah. and regulations to whether you're lawfully in possession of that or not. So the dog still alerts to the possibility of the odor of marijuana. Uh, it could be cocaine, heroin, many of the other aspects. But if you come across marijuana, then you gotta you got to investigate those areas that I just talked about to find out if the person is in legal possession. And lo and behold, they have two grams of marijuana. Um, they got it from a lawful dispensary. They're over 21. They're not impaired in any way. Uh, write them their speeding ticket or whatever it was and away they go. It's no different than what I say is my DUI analogy. Um, so that's the first argument. I I think the dog allows you to investigate, uh, possible criminal activity. And then you determine whether that possible criminal activity is actually a violation of law or it's not. And then away they go. And I can, I'll jump in on that, Ted, that we talked about this several years ago, and that was that was the theory. Again, I'm not running a drug dog right now, but that was the advice I was given to the people here in Colorado when they were asking me, you know, either through through my connections or if they called through the state association. That was kind of what uh, Brian Lost from uh, the, our association, uh, he's been heavily involved in the subject. So we kind of were putting out that advice. But unfortunately, um you know, things being what they are and human human beings being what they are and politics and stuff. Um, although I think that'd be a case that you would go with, what we were seeing is that a lot of the prosecutors here were quicker just to wipe their hands of it and say, no, we don't want to even want to hear that argument. If the well, dog has marijuana, we don't, you know, we're going to dismiss that case. We don't, we don't want to even go down that road. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, every, every, jurisdictions got their state attorney, their commonwealth attorney, their district attorney. So a lot of what's driven in your county or your jurisdiction is driven by the person who's sure. the, the elected or appointed official, whether he or she, what their philosophy is on handling this. Um, a lot of times I find um, in major metropolitan areas, they might be a little more aggressive towards these things and in rural areas where they don't have a whole lot of manpower per se. You have a smaller prosecutor's office with a still or a big caseload that um, they might not be as well-versed or yeah. uh, want to fight that fight in certain areas. And then again, of course, you, and you got to, you know, there's all part of the game. Uh, your judge, who your judge is, are they conservative? Yep. Are they liberal? You and I have discussed on many occasions, do these facts really fit the circumstance of a case I want to fight or do I want to, 
you know, this will probably come back up to me another you know, yeah. 60, 90 days under similar circumstances, and maybe it'll be a better set of facts for me to fight than um, in this particular case. Yeah. And I mentioned that just, just uh, you had said at the beginning of this is, you know, for the officers that are facing this to talk to their prosecutors. And that, to me, that's the most important piece. You can, that, they're the ones who are going to decide really how things go. I and mean, hopefully you have a prosecutor who, if they don't know something, about it. Maybe they want to get educated on it and, and pick an informed decision. But I've heard a lot of stories, both from here and other states where the prosecutors, uh, maybe not quite as informed, have still made their own decision. And, and just, I think the easy way out is to say, we won't, we won't touch that dog anymore because he's ruined. And it's, it's an unfortunate thing, but I've seen that quite a bit. Yeah, it, it really is. And, but the only good thing is there, you know, I don't know what the statistics really are, but you know, let's just say for every, um, you know, liberal prosecutor, or moderate prosecutor, there's probably a conservative prosecutor somewhere else in the country sure. that is fighting that fight. And you, you may not have, or even in your state, you can have one county be very aggressive and the next county over be kind of liberal in their philosophy. And at least if you happen to be in that liberal jurisdiction, even with the prosecutor's office, the good thing is just hold on to the fact that somebody somewhere else, either in your state or the neighboring state, or maybe even all the way across the country or in the federal government, um, somebody's fighting that fight somewhere. Yeah. And eventually it's going to get to the United States Supreme Court or, or you're going to get to your state Supreme Court, just like your Colorado case, the McKnight. Um, and you're going to get guidance. The funny thing is, is what I don't understand about prosecutors that don't want to fight the fight is that you, you never get clarity if you don't fight it. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, if you fight it, you lose and you fought the good fight and your Supreme Court says, you know, sorry, we don't buy your argument. At least the police officers, dog handlers in your jurisdiction will have clarity from the highest court in their jurisdiction on how to proceed. Um, yep. Having the county to the left of you and the county to the right of you in your county and everybody's doing three different things helps no one. So uh, yep. eventually McKnight will help you know, Colorado handlers, it'll probably spark a, oh, a tsunami effect, depending on what Colorado does, is that wave will travel, you know, to Maine, to Oregon, to Kansas, wherever it's going to be, it's going to be kind of the bellwether case, I think, of, um, because Colorado is just the, looked upon as the legal standard, because it's legal, and I think as the tide goes, that's the way the country will kind of take a lead from that case. Yeah, why don't we spend a few minutes? I know you, you're well-versed in the McKnight case. Maybe you could kind of explain it and maybe you know, give your, your thoughts on that. Well, kind of- the nuts and bolts is, is that the dog, um, you know, was a multi-odor narcotics dog. And it alerted to the exterior of the vehicle. And then what was it, Jeff, that they find in the vehicle? A meth meth pipe. Yeah, it was a meth pipe, which, you know, obviously is not the greatest quantity of meth known to man there. But since, you know, the the scenario, it's a pretty simplistic point of view. So the meth pipes there, it's, you know, tested positive. It's like a residue pipe case. But um, and the dog obviously is trained to alert on that. But then the the argument is, well how did the officer be able to search the car on the alert when it could have been an alert to odor related to marijuana, which is legal. 
and you don't know when the dog sits to has a change of behavior and sits, let's say, you know, passive single purpose dog to the exterior of the vehicle. The handler can't tell you whether it's heroin, cocaine or marijuana. Um, so since it can be marijuana and marijuana is legal under certain circumstances, it should not be probable cause to search in that jurisdiction because there's no discernible. Now, if the dog was never imprinted on marijuana, kind of like what you talked about a little while ago, then uh, it doesn't affect the dog, let's say, that has no marijuana imprinting and it's just cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine or something like that. Then you're still good to go because those are all purely still illegal, um, unlike the marijuana issue, whether it's legal or medical. So that's the bottom line is, you know, how do you know? And the answer you know, really gets down to some cases like in Colorado for the Colorado folks that are listening, you know, there's a case called Zuniga, which is Z U N I G A. So if you're out there listening to this, you may want to grab a pen because I'm going to go through a few States and a few jurisdictions to give you some ideas of what's going on across the country. Uh, that's from 2016. And there's a case called Cox C O X. Wasn't it? What's that? The Zuniga case actually was good for Yeah, that's what I'm just saying. Those were two good cases in Colorado that talk about, you know, even though it's legal, um, it still provided probable cause. And Cox even says something along the lines of it's still the dog alert still suggests um, the idea that there's criminal activity afoot going on in the vehicle. So therefore, you should go on and be allowed to go in and investigate the criminal activity that's, um, you know, going that you have probable cause to investigate. So, you know, those are two cases. Now, that's where you're going to get, you know, how Colorado, you know, how the cookie crumbles because there's, you know, there are actually some good cases in Colorado. It's just whether the the court wants to stick with that current philosophy under the law, which looks like a dog deployment uh, that's imprinted on marijuana should still be probable cause. That's how they've held over the past, you know, three or four years. And are they going to stay consistent with that? Are they going to backtrack the way Colorado was, let's just say, you know, five or six years ago um, and be more conservative in their philosophy? Um, You just don't know is the answer to that. And so we'll have to wait in 2019 that opinion to come out to tell us something. Um, But real quick, I'll give you for everybody. I hope everybody's listening from all across the country. Give you a few ideas. Um, Federal court, there's a, Sanders, common spelling, is uh, 2017. It's a federal court case out of Rhode Island. And there's a case called Iman. I I spell it, or I just spelled E-Y-M-A-N-N, 2016 case, federal case out of Illinois. Both those cases are um, uh, dogs imprinted on marijuana, with marijuana being legal in some fashion, uh, either medical or legal. And um, it doesn't, the dog was found you know, still to be probable cause in those states. Uh, oh, I mean, actually, those states, but those are federal court opinions. Um, you got Maryland in 2007 and Robinson v. State. Actually, in California, for all you people listening out there, believe it or not, you've got People versus Wexler, Waxler, which is W A X L E R. It's a 2014 case. And the court out there even said in this California state case, that you know, cultivation still illegal. Transportation of the drugs are still legal. Sale and delivery of the drugs are still legal. It was just you were allowed to be in lawful possession of certain amount of marijuana, so you should be able to uh, to investigate cultivation, transportation, sale, or delivery, which the dog can indicate um, that that particularly might be going on. 
Um, case called Smalley, S-M-A-L-L-E-Y, out of Oregon. And believe it or not, one of the more liberal states actually still going with the dog philosophy is a case called Ortega out of the state of Minnesota. Minnesota generally a very liberal state They because they rule that their state constitution, you believe it or not, kind of, you know, I know you're not going to, having not had yeah. a law degree if you're out there, but believe it or not, courts can say that our state constitution provides, they can't conflict with the federal constitution, but they say they can provide more coverage. They can't provide less coverage than the United States Constitution, but you can provide more coverage. And Minnesota always comes out on the liberal side, generally, and says that, uh, well, under our Minnesota state constitution, we're going we're to allow more protection. But unironically, for drug dogs, they said that the drug dog could be utilized as a part of probable cause, even though it was trained on marijuana. So, um, and then there's a flip side. I've got to be honest. Uh, there's a case called C-R-A-A-N. It's a 2014 case out of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And I know most of you guys are going to be shocked that the liberal Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, ruled the opposite way. They actually ruled that uh, it's marijuana is, is legal there, either legally or by medical. And uh, they ruled that a drug dog trained, imprinted on marijuana is not probable cause in that Massachusetts case. Um, so there is a little conflict going around the country on, um, you know, whether it's going to provide probable cause or not provide probable cause because of the area um, you know, that you're in. Sure. The dog yeah, it's do kind it. of gray so, area everywhere. Yeah, it's it's funny. There's a, a case out of Washington in 2006 that um, you know the dog still provides probable cause. Of course, Washington for all you folks out there, and if you handle a dog in the state of Washington, you know if your dog alerts, you're writing paper for a search warrant, which is a little unique. Um, then most yeah. of the areas are where most of the handlers are listening to, where they're running a dog and just searching based upon the dog alert. Um, and then last but not least, there's a case out of the crazy Ninth Circuit called Gray, like the color, G-R-A-Y. Uh, it actually comes from the state of Nevada, but the Ninth Circuit covers you know, California. And um, there's a case currently being litigated just like the McKnight case in Colorado being argued on this exact same issue in the, in, before the Ninth Circuit. So it's bouncing around. You can see it's state by state. Um, it's federal court. It's in federal district courts and federal circuit courts. Um, my bold prediction is that probably sometime within the next four years, uh, with everybody doing a little bit something different, and that the United States Supreme Court may just tackle this issue. And uh, of course, do, you know a lot. Of, think a lot of things depend on whether you want to say that. Well, it's always illegal in federal jurisdiction, so. Yeah. That's federal law, and any law enforcement officer could investigate a federal crime that they happen the happenstance come across. So, do you think the the U.S. Supreme Court even want to mess with this issue right now until it's decided what what as a country we're going to do about this? Because it's it's kind of living in two different realms right now, where it's legal in states and illegal in federal laws. So, I, I figured maybe the U.S. Supreme Court might not even want to worry about a dog sniff until you know broader issues are even addressed there yeah well it's it's all it's hard to tell i mean that's a good point but it's really hard to tell and of course i was bold enough to say after jardines and harris 
it, we probably wouldn't see another dog case for 10 years. And lo and behold, which we'll get into in another podcast, uh, you know, four years went by and boom, we got Rodriguez. So, you know, um, there went that prediction. So um, I don't know. I, 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 the one thing is that the United States Supreme Court is, they're always concerned with Fourth Amendment search and seizure, and they're con- really concerned with consistency. And um, yeah. I think if they see five or six states saying, well, it's not probable cause, even though it's illegal and, you know, every state has a federal court. <laughs> so, you know, in, you know, you, you got to have consistency, you know, in this, just take Massachusetts, for example, how inconsistent is it that if my dog goes around your car in Massachusetts and I find a kilogram of, uh, of cocaine, although it's a legal marijuana state and my dog's imprinted on marijuana, if I take that case, to the federal court, the guy gets convicted and goes to federal prison. If I take it to Boston state court, uh, it's probably a search and seizure violation. So they don't like that inconsistency. So um, that's one thing that they'll look to resolve if they see that there's more states along the lines. Let's just say Colorado flips and says, no, you know, we're going to find it's a it's a Fourth Amendment violation of the United States Constitution. Now you got to watch out. Remember that for all those people that are listening. You know, you got those crazy <laughs> some areas like the state of Minnesota who could say, well, it's not a Fourth Amendment violation of the United States Constitution, but we're going to find it's a violation of the Minnesota State Constitution. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are a few hiccups out there that could still come along. But the bottom line is, at some point in time, consistency and level playing field is something that the United States Supreme Court desires when it comes to Fourth Amendment issues. So um, I guess really the answer to the the question that we're posing on this show is really there isn't an answer yet. So the answer basically is work with your local prosecutors, work with your department, your agency, figure out, you know, how you're going to handle this. And, and, you know, the, the answer is that there's lots of different ways to handle it. it but, you know, just I guess uh, my advice now is to make sure that you – have already gone down that road by talking to everybody who's going to be involved in that chain of that case before you get into it, because you're either going to waste a lot of time or stir up something that's not worth it. If you know, the prosecutor doesn't want it. Or I've also talked to several police chiefs who, you know, wanted to either get rid of the dog entirely because they were worried about, you know, some kind of bad publicity because, you know, there's some politics behind marijuana also, obviously. So, there's, I think, uh, you know, if you're working a, a dog that is imprinted on marijuana, these are all things that you want to find out now before it turns into some big case. Yeah, it's unfortunate that politics does rear its ugly head in uh, some areas. But uh, I will say this, you know, I say my general opinion is stay status quo until there's some legal opinion that tells you that you can't do it in your jurisdiction. Um, and then once you've got a legal opinion that you got to deal with, um, the sky is not falling. Just kind of like you talked about 20 minutes ago. Um, you know, you can still work a valid drug dog. It can be imprinted on anything other than marijuana. And then you, um, you know, can go on and work a a single purpose, passive dog, dual purpose dog, just like you ordinarily would. It just won't be marijuana related. And if you have currently still have a marijuana dog, like you said, administrative searches and other areas um, 
where you know, yeah, the, the, the marijuana dogs here are busy. The post office uses them. I mean, there's plenty, plenty of work for them. I think they just have to be a little judicious about what they're using them for. Right yeah, now. you just got to be smarter. I mean, like even FedEx and UPS have in their contracts that you can't ship contraband. So yeah. you know, you know, you could have. I mean, if FedEx and UPS wanted to be serious about the enforcement in some areas they are in some areas they're not really but yeah um they could enforce the contract side of things and just have a dog out there saying well it, you know hey i've hit on this it can be anything and um and you can't ship contraband so they have a right to open up a package for their own personal reasons through their their contractual basis of what they're shipping and investigate things in that way but uh, yeah you're right there's a myriad of administrative side yeah. of things that you could use a dog for instead of there's no need to jump off the ship and retire your dog. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's other options that are available. No, what we're you. seeing here is I, I've seen most of the agencies here as their dogs are retiring. And, you know, a lot, a lot that doesn't take as long as we think sometimes. So as those dogs are retiring and they're putting new dogs into service, they're simply not adding marijuana as an imprinted odor. And I, I want to mention, mentioned too real quick that if you are one of those agencies and you're not going to do marijuana, a, a mistake that I've seen people make as I travel around the country facing this is some of the, the handlers that are not going to put marijuana on their dog think that the best training philosophy is to never have their dog around marijuana. And I just couldn't disagree with that more. I think if, if that's your, your philosophy, then that dog needs to be proofed off marijuana on a regular basis, just as much as we proof off gloves and all the other different things that we proof our dogs off of. But I, I've seen some handlers who we have to set up training venues where marijuana is on one side of the building and all the other odors are on the other because they think that their dog should never be around it. And everybody knows that, you know, any, if you're doing any type of uh, drugs, all the dopers like marijuana too. So I, in my opinion, it's all going to be contaminated. The dogs are going to learn marijuana as a, as a, a, an odor and that needs to be proofed off of on a regular basis. And, uh, show show it in your training records they're doing it I, i've even uh, gone so far as suggested that i think if if you're going to do a certification and your dog's not a marijuana dog just as we show that the dogs will pass up other distractions i think the dog in a cert should probably have to pass that marijuana also i agree with that 100 percent. i mean it's just you know look if it's something you don't want to imprint your dog on then it's just a unique odor distracting odor novel odor what do you want to call it that you know your dog could be exposed to that you want to make sure that your dog does not alert to so i mean you want to you don't want to have your dog you want to fight off oh my dog alerts to plastic oh my dog alerts to duct tape yeah. oh my dog will alert to a cheeseburger and then you want to throw in there oh my the the argument yeah. oh your dog will alert to marijuana well i can show it doesn't alert to plastic it doesn't alert to duct tape it doesn't alert to cheeseburgers and it doesn't alert to because my records will show you know yeah. on a moderately regular basis i proof off of it so you, you you're 100 correct you want that argument to to dispel any you know defense attorneys or anything else that's I've, seen, I've seen handlers that don't mind proofing off of everything else but they want <laughs> they think magically they, they never take their dog near marijuana they'll never get it and then, i just think it's and, and, and ironically i'll just play a little bit of the devil's advocate if you buy a new dog and you don't imprint on marijuana and three years from now your dog let's say turns five and things change in your jurisdiction. The law has evolved into the handler's yeah. favor. Shit, you can just 
take it, you know, I don't know, three months or something. You could imprint the dog on marijuana, and now you've got a cocaine, marijuana, heroin, methamphetamine finding dog. So it's obviously it's much to easier to add that odor in, let's say, two or three years from now. Um, yeah. and, and that would solve any problems if your jurisdiction swings to where it's appropriate. So, sure. so we'll wrap it up. We've kind of got over a little bit. Okay. If uh, you guys like this type of, of discussion and you want to hear more about it, uh, Ted's obviously going to teach some classes at hits. We'll be in Chicago, Chicago this year, uh, August. So if you like this, you can come meet Ted in person. You can go to some of his classes. We're going to have lots of different classes for all the detector dogs. So check us out at hitsk9.net, hitsk9.net. You can get the biographies for both Ted and I. You can see all the other instructors, see all of our vendors. We've got great vendors. We're sponsored by Yukonuba this year. And we'll be, uh, again, we'll be in, in Chicago. It'll be a big show. We're expecting more than 1,000 handlers, over 100 vendors. And all that information can be found at hitsk9.net. So if you have any other questions, you can reach me at jeff at hitsk9.net. Or you can reach Ted at ted at hitsk9.net. Really easy emails. Contact us. Any questions you have, any feedback you have, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer, signing off. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, all right, guys. Take care. Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois, this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitsk9.net.